Hello? Chris, it's Scott. Oh, hey man, how's it going? <laughs> totally excellent, dude. Oh, um, okay, cool. Well, what's up? <laughs> Not much, compadre. Just chilling out here at Mikasa. All right. Hey, uh, are you okay? You seem different. Oh, yeah, man, I'm totally tubular. I've just been listening to this bitchin' new podcast and scarfing down some zaz, you know? Right. Bitchin'. Totally. It's called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Minute, and it's a completely gnarly new show that breaks down, analyzes, and discusses the 1990 live-action Turtles movie one shell kicking minute at a time! Wait, one minute at a time? Like, a whole episode dedicated to just, like, one minute of the movie? Oh, hey Scott, hold on a second. Dude, I have got a boss new podcast to show you. Oh my god, it's like totally rad, you're gonna freak. Hey Adam, Rachel, uh, come in I guess. Is that Scott? Put him on speaker. Yeah, he was just telling me about Teenage Mutant Ninja, Ninja Turtles, Turtles Minute. Minute. Excellent. Excellent. Rad. Dude, dudette, how totally mondo is that show? Totally, man. I like scope so many fresh new knowledge nuggets. I feel like my brain is going to explode. Yeah, and it comes out every day of the week, so I can just max and relax and score some serious turtle time. Chris, you have to motor over to DuelingGenre.com or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Minute right now. Yeah, okay, I, I just... Am I going to start talking like that? Yo, Connor, don't be a spaz. Yeah, be wicked. Bodacious. Righteous. Fresh. So, bro, what's it going to be? You going to check out Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Minute or what? Well, I guess there's only one thing to say. Cowabunga! Yeah! yeah! Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Minute, available July 31st on DuelingGenre.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character and a great story. I'm Todd Mack. And I'm Joe Dorowski. And this week we're discussing Connor Lawler from the film Sing Street. And this was a request by patron Daniel. Thank you, Daniel, for suggesting this. Yeah. This is one I did not have on my uh, Netflix queue, but it's a pretty good movie. I'd seen, when it came out in 2016, I saw a bunch of good reviews for it, but I don't think it even showed in theaters where I live, and I wasn't, I, like, it had passed from my memory, and so when I saw him suggest it, uh, I was I was excited. I'm like, oh, I remember people really liking this one, so. Yeah, I'm not surprised that a lot of people like this movie. It's, it's good. It's a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So Sing Street is a 2016 film that was written by John Carney and directed by John Carney, and Connor Lawler is played by, and I'm going to apologize if I mispronounce this, but Ferdia walsh Pilo. that's spelled F-E-R-D-I-A, and then Walsh-Pilo, and that is his screen debut, and as far as I know, he was singing in that role. He had played um, on stage in singing roles previously, and that kind of led to his discovery and his role He's in this He's got a pretty film. good voice. He does, yeah. Uh, so how we came to it, uh, patron Daniel suggested it. That was how I came to it, right? <laughs> same for you, Todd? Yeah, same for me. And we both watched it today and both enjoyed it. So Sing Street is the story of a boy in Dublin, Ireland, who forms a band with some of his schoolmates with the sole purpose of impressing a girl. 
and it has lots of singing, lots of Irish accents, and a pretty amazing cast of many of them were newcomers to film. Uh, jo uh, John Carney wanted to cast newcomers for a lot of these roles, and I think he had a good eye for talent. Yeah. He, uh... Man, that's cool. We'll talk about the school. <laughs> yeah, it's not a fun school. If this is... Well, we'll get to it in the trivia, I guess. Uh, Sing Street has a 96% positive rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It is a semi-autobiographical tale of John Carney's life as a child in Dublin, Ireland. And I hope he did not go to a school anything like the school in this film. The... I don't know. Like, I... I see something like this, and I suppose that there must be places kind of like that. I mean, it, it has such a realistic feel that... It's not like Matilda or something like that, where it feels fantastical, and so you just assume that the school is really, you know, it's an exaggeration, no? an exaggeration, a parody of something. Um, this, it, it, everything else feels so authentic that you think, man, there must be a school where bullying is just the norm. Teachers look the other way; they don't care about the students actually learning. Yeah, uh, they're uh, physically abusive to students. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the yeah. school is very unpleasant in this film. And if you start the film and, the, like, I say push the first five minutes, because the first five minutes are, like, him going into this hellhole of a school, and it's so depressing. I was like, I remember all the reviews saying this is a charming film, and I am yeah. not getting charm yet. Uh, it takes a little while to, to bounce back and forth between the tone, and the tone moves in kind of a fantastic way that leaves you feeling like you watched... Two different films. Two different movies, <laughs> yes. Two movies in some ways. Yeah, uh, one that is, is sweet and charming and uh, just a joy to watch, and one that is just so depressing and pessimistic and nihilistic about the world. Yes. And yet, it makes one whole that works and feels... It, it doesn't feel like you've... Um, like like you were... I, we said it's two different films, but it doesn't feel like it's two different stories. Like, it's one story that has both those elements in it. Yeah, sometimes... Um... I don't know what this like the secret sauce is, but sometimes filmmakers uh, can get kind of overly ambitious, and a story can feel kind of muddled or confused, like it doesn't really know what it's doing itself. And this does not feel like that at all. I don't get that impression from this at all. It just um, it just has these these like yin and yang. There's they come together and form this kind of beautiful whole. And you know, it's deliberate because uh, the idea of those. Those uh, differences being one is expressed explicitly in dialogue in the yes. film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Carney, as I noted, deliberately cast unknown actors for many of the roles in the film, particularly the child actors. Uh, besides awesome period music from the '80s, there is original music written by uh, the, the the band that's made in the film. Much of that music was written by Gary Clark, who sang for a band from Scotland in the 1980s. So he used some period <laughs> period artists. Um, John Carney, who was also in a band in the '80s and '90s, uh, he has writing credits on some of the songs, as do Ken and Carl Poppenfuss, who are currently part of a band called Relic. And uh, this one stood out to me. Adam, is it Levine or Levine? The, I don't watch enough of the voice to I know. I think it's Adam Levine. Levine uh, from Maroon 5. He co-wrote one of the songs in the film as Interesting. well. Interesting. I think uh, when I was looking up trivia, it seemed like he had starred in a film that Carney had directed previously. I love the 80s aesthetic in this film. <laughs> Which we, we've been finding the sweet spot for you in 80s. Yes. <laughs> it's yeah, not really like Apocalypse. It. it is Stranger Things and it is... Uh, uh, Sing Street. It is Sing Street, yep. Uh, the film only made $3 million at the U.S. box office and $13 million in total in the global box office, but it was nominated for Golden Globe for Best Comedy or Musical. This would not have helped us a lot in our fantasy box office. No, it would not have been a big winner for either of us if we had chosen it. 
Uh, Although if somebody were to say, I'll give you $13 million right now, I would not uh, <laughs> not turn my nose at that. Yeah, exactly. It seems like a small amount, but this was, uh, I'm guessing, a film without a massive budget. Uh, I was reading somewhere that his one of his films was like a $160,000 budget. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think that was one of his first films. Yeah. And then it, it made a similar amount. It made like $13 million, but f- the return on investment was a high. very high percentage <laughs> uh, for, for the filmmaking industry, whereas like some blockbusters that we see today, they have, when you add an advertising and everything, like $200 million budgets and they make $250 million. It's not yes. really a huge win for the studio. So, uh, and, well, and also, I mean... Success of the box office is no mark of quality, <laughs> as we <No>. see <laughs> horrible films that can make a lot of money at the box office and great films that just come and go without anyone noticing yes. them. And I think this is one of those kind of hidden gems. I would not be surprised to find out that this has like a cult following of mm-hmm. like hardcore fans that are like, oh, you have to watch Sing Street. It's one of my favorite movies. Uh, and with its presence on Netflix and other streaming services, hopefully a larger audience finds it. Yeah, I agree. Listeners, we would just ask that with all the content that we provide for you in a month, at least four hours of content, uh, if you think that is worth a quarter per hour, just 25 cents per hour, we would invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support support our show for at least $1 per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers. And all patrons who support us with a $5 per month uh, pledge or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss as patrons. Patron Daniel did. So thank you again, Daniel. And again, don't uh, no listener should feel capped at that $5 mark. <laughs> you are welcome to exceed that. If you're an eccentric millionaire and want to toss some money around, we will accept that. Uh, okay, are we ready for this long synopsis? Yeah, Todd, why don't you give us a long synopsis? Though, again, listeners, just a reminder, this is available on Netflix right now, so you could go watch the movie. It's less than two hours. You could go watch that and then come back for this discussion if you would like. Hopefully it's still on there whenever you're listening to this. That's true. Some things disappear from Netflix after we discuss them on this podcast. <laughs> okay, so Connor is, uh, he's 15 years old, and he's from a working-class family, and um, this family has got problems the his parents are uh they don't get along with each other very well (laughs) this is not a happily ever after marriage no um so we see lots of fighting from his parents and uh and he's kind of strumming on his guitar and feeling sad and then he's told uh that uh, they're going to make some changes in the family and he has to go to a different school he's been going to a pretty nice school um and now he has to go to this uh the school that's run um, by the Catholics, and the motto of the school is Act Manly. Um, and uh, so he goes to this place. It's totally unruly. It's a, what did we call it? A chaotic hellhole? Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's really, it feels over the top. Um, but the aesthetic that it's filmed in also feels gritty and real. Yes. But you have, like, student smoking, you have the professor drinking at the, at the head of the class while he's teaching. You have the, the headmaster who's abusive to students yeah. and expects perfection and uh, complete obedience to the rules. But the second he turns his back, no one's following any of the rules. And just open bullying happening in every room. And I don't I don't know what it is about this that that kind of struck me differently. Because we've seen all of those things, right? Like, we all know that there are teachers that don't really care about teaching. We know that there are students that are bullies. We know that there are headmasters who turn, you know, turn a blind eye to stuff that happens. But there was something about, like, the concentration of 
abhorrent behavior in the school that was just shocking to me. Well, and especially for the first several minutes of the film, again, it totally feels so different than the rest of the film. Yes. That when I started watching it, I didn't know what I was getting into. And so listeners, don't be turned off by the first few minutes of this film. So on Connor's first day in school, he gets called out by the headmaster for not having black shoes, and then he gets hazed by a boy. Uh, and then in the evening, he um, and his brother, whose name is Brendan... Brendan? They don't mention people's names very often in this film, and so it's kind of hard to keep track of everybody's names. Yes, Brendan. Brendan. So uh, Connor and Brendan, uh, they in- sort of enjoy in the evening time watching uh, TV and watching music videos on TV. Uh, Duran Duran is one of um, their favorite bands, and Brendan seems to actually know a lot about music. He has a good ear for things, and he knows the names of musicians. He knows the history and, and movements of the of the music scene. And because this is the early 1980s or mid-1980s, like, music videos are a new thing. Like, their parents don't understand what music videos even are. Yes. Uh, as they're like, what what is this? And Brendan has to explain this is, like, the perfect blend of visual and, and audio yes. entertainment. So next day, uh, Connor goes back to school, and he still has brown shoes because he talked to his mom, and she said, we can't afford black shoes. And the headmaster makes him take off his shoes and walk around in his socks all day. And there are, like, giant freezing cold puddles of water that he has to walk through. And uh, it's just, man, this school is really, it's really bad. And Connor is, he's nice, and he's polite, and he just doesn't fit in this school at all. And then the mean boy, whose name is Barry Bray, comes back and punches him. Uh, so Connor meets a, a boy whose name is Darren, who is pretty nice to him. And then Connor notices that there's this cute girl across the street. And uh, Darren tells him that she's always there, but that she's not interested in any of the boys from the school. And Connor just walks up to her and tells her, um, he kind of strikes up conversation. She tells him that he's a mo- that she's a model. And he asks her if he would like to be in a video. She would like to be. In if she, I'm sorry. He asks her if she would like to be in a music video uh, because he's in a band, which he's totally not in a band. <laughs> yeah. um, and that he needs her phone number so that he can call her when they're ready to record their music video. Uh, and then he goes back and Darren is sort of uh, shocked that he's just done this, just walked over to this girl and got her phone number and he says, um, okay, we need to make a band. <laughs> and so... Uh, Darren has a friend whose name is Eamon, and uh, it turns out that his father is in a covers band, and he has all of these musical instruments in the house, and Eamon knows how to play all of them, and he's actually quite good. And so they have this conversation, uh, they say, do you want to, you know, be be in a band with us? And he's like, yeah, sure, let's do it. Um, and so... Uh, Connor doesn't really play any instruments. He plays a little guitar, but he's going to kind of write lyrics and Eamon is going to help him. Uh, Darren is going to be the manager because he has no musical <laughs> talent. Um, they decide they're not sure what the, what the genre of their music is going to be. So they say they're going to be a futurist band because they're interested in music like you know, cutting edge music. Well, and uh, the older brother warns them against being a cover band. Maybe right. not yet, but uh, yeah, he, he says you well, don't want to look to the past. You want to be yeah, you want to look to the future. When he's talking about Duran Duran, he likes Duran Duran because they're they're looking to the future, not the past. And their their parents like the Beatles. And he says the Beatles are dead. We have to you know find something new, like Duran Duran singing Rio. Uh, they they're trying to think of who they can get in the band, and they remember that there's this one black kid that they know. <laughs> And so they go to the house of the black kid. They just assume that he must play a musical instrument because he's black. And so, of course, he he must. And I love when they knock on the door and they 
they say, does the black kid live here? And it's the mom, <laughs> and she's black, and she says, no, he lives down the street, down like down the down the row of apartments. And they're like, oh, okay. And then she goes, what do you think? Like there's <laughs> only one family in this whole city that's black. <laughs> Uh, it's very funny. It turns out that he actually does um, kind of play uh, the keyboard. And then a couple of other kids show up answering an ad, uh, and so they have their band. I love that. The ad is for a futurist band. Yes. <laughs> uh, they call. They decide to call the band Sing Street, which is the name of the street where their school is. Um, and their first song is a cover of Rio by Duran Duran. Uh, and they, they make a recording of it, and Connor's brother tells him, it's terrible, they can't be a covers band, they need to do their own thing, they need to take risks, and they need to learn how to not play music so that they can learn to play music. It's a very kind of philosophical thing. Um, so Connor, uh, goes back to Eamon's house, and they sit down, and they make a demo of a song called The Riddle of the Model. And this is inspired by this girl whose name is Rafina, we find out, eventually. At some point, they just say her name, like... Yeah. Almost at the very end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, they say it several times, so it finally stuck in my head. But, like, it's a big cast of characters, and like you said... They're almost The, the names are, are not tossed around very often. So Connor goes and gives her the tape and tells her they will record the video on Saturday, and so they show up to record, and everybody is dressed in just it's the just strangest... so <laughs> They're all dressed in the strangest... Because... They all kind of have a different idea of what they're doing. And what a music video should look like. Yes. And so there's, like, one boy dressed as a cowboy, and Connor is kind of dressed as, like, like period, uh, yeah. I don't know, like, 18th century vampire or something. <laughs> well, one of them has vampire teeth. Oh, yeah, so one kid has vampire teeth. It's all very, very strange. But Rafina walks in, and she just looks them over, and she says, can I do your makeup? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so she helps them with their makeup, and they record the video. Um, uh, oh, before they record the video, Barry, the, the bully from the school, he comes by with his dad or his brother or I think somebody. his dad. And his dad is... Abusive to him. Totally abusive. Verbally and physically. To Barry. Yeah. And they're both kind of making fun of the band, and then, and then his dad just starts beating up on Barry. Um, it's, it's kind of weird and sad, and you don't really kind of know what to make of this Barry kid, because he's really, he's a, he treats Connor... Horribly. Horribly. But then when you see him being treated poorly, then it makes you kind of reevaluate some things. Um, so they all record the video. And then Connor takes Rafina home on his bike. And just as he drops her off, uh, and it looks like things are going well for him, her boyfriend uh, drives up in a car. Um, and uh, they drive off. And Connor looks up and notices that she lives in a home for girls. So she dresses like she's kind of fancy. And she has, like... Makeup and her hair done all nice, and she looks like maybe she's kind of from a posh neighborhood. Uh, and it turns out that she lives in a in a home for girls. Well, uh, Connor had mentioned it like the trouble with his parents, and she says something. It's nice for me not to have parents. Oh yeah. And, he, and Connor didn't quite know what to make of it until he sees that sign. So Connor's brother is starting to be impressed by the music that these boys are playing, um, and he he knows a lot as we mentioned about music. And he tells Connor uh, the boyfriend won't be a problem because he listens to Phil Collins. <laughs> <laughs> and then he also tells Connor that he thinks their mother is having an affair. Uh, so Connor goes over to Eamon's house, and they write a new song. And this was one of my favorite scenes in the film. They're writing the song, and they're kind of practicing riffs and different uh, different pieces from the song. And then it kind of magically melds into them actually playing the song with their band. And um, and they're sounding really good. The music in this really is, good. is fantastic. And it strikes just the right note of being amateur band. It, but, but, really you, but it's pleasant to listen to. Yes. But you don't think, like, oh, this is polished. They're just playing a radio song. Yes. 
so Connor um, gives the tape to Rafina, and she cries when she listens to it. Like she's really being touched by uh, by Connor's music. Uh, he goes back to school, and now he's got a new hairdo. He's bleached his bangs. I I wish I could. Um, I'll, I'll try to describe this as best I can, but he's just, so he's got like what we what in my day we would have called a bowl cut kind of, <laughs> but just the front part of his bangs are are bleached Frosted, blonde, yeah. like uh, like Sia or something, um, and he's wearing pretty heavy makeup like David Bowie like kind of blue makeup. eyeshadow. Yeah, he wants to own the band. Image. He's got lipstick and and lots of eyeshadow, and the headmaster tells him he has to take the makeup off. And he invites Connor into his bathroom. He says, uh... says, wash it off in here. Well, it gets really creepy. Yeah. And he starts mentioning, like, you have such beautiful features and come in my bathroom Mm -hmm. and you can take the makeup off. Yeah, it never goes it, but, like, there's definitely a tone there where you're like, what is with this headmaster? And Connor says, uh, I'm leaving now. He says, I actually read through all the rules of the school and there's nothing about makeup. uh, makeup." And uh, the headmaster then grabs him in the hallway and... Drags him into a bathroom and forces him to almost wash his face him. and almost drowns him in the in the sink. After school, uh, Rafina picks up uh, Connor and they go for a walk. And she asks if he'll write a happy song for her. And he tells her he doesn't feel happy. And she tells him that's what music is, happy, sad. And I think we'll get back to this. Yeah. Um, and then she tells him that her boyfriend is going to take her to London so that she can be a model. Um, and so he writes a happy, sad song for her. And they go out to the ocean to, f- to film it at the harbor. And um, there's a scene where she's supposed to pretend that she's jumping into the water. And she actually jumps in the water and it turns out she can't swim. And Connor jumps in to save her and he says, why did you jump in the water if you can't swim? And she says, you can't do anything halfway. And he says, well, I guess then uh, I won't do this halfway. And he kisses her. And she kind of likes it. And there's this sort of connection between them. But then he says, what about your boyfriend? And she says, you ruined it. You, were, you ruined it. <laughs> Um, so Barry is continuing to threaten Connor at school, uh, but Connor isn't scared of him anymore. And now they're like full flamboyant. They have these like overcoats and he wears a hat and the sunglasses and flamboyant scarf that he wears at school. And Barry, um, is making all kinds of joy jokes about their orientation and Connor just is, doesn't care. And he's not scared of Barry anymore. Uh, there's going to be an end of term dance and the boys decide to, to play it as their first gig. And there's something about this about their band. They're sort of affiliated with the school somehow, mm-hmm. um, and so that's how they're able to get this uh, this this gig uh, playing at the dance. Uh, in the night, Con- Connor's parents argue furious, fur- furiously. It's really touching. This is so again. It, we we get this like back and forth between kind of Connor becoming more confident at school and these kind of comedic moments, and then we back in his house and you see his parents. Uh, arguing furiously and he and his siblings are listening to music to kind of drown out their parents arguing um, and sort of succeeding like they seem to be genuinely happy and to enjoy being together and listening to music and some of this may be the 80s aesthetic but it really reminded me of the scene in Stranger Things when the two brothers listen to uh, the one brother introduces I can't remember what song it is but a classic 80s song should I stay or should, should I? Should I stay or should oh, I go? Oh yeah, yeah. And, and and they're just listening it in their rundown home, and like clearly they're not they don't have the best life situation. But li- yes. the brothers listening to this music together is a perfect moment for them. Yep. So because they've been focusing so much on their music and this upcoming dance, none of the boys have 
prepared for their final exams and they just don't, basically don't write anything on their exams. <laughs> uh, so um, Connor goes and he picks up uh, Rafina and he tells her that they're going on an adventure. So this is just like on a Saturday. He picks her up, says, we're going on an adventure. And they get uh, on their family boat. They have this little, like a little dinghy. A very small boat. Mm-hmm. With a motor, though. Yes. And they, uh, and they go out to an island that's just offshore and they talk and they do some smooching and it's uh Connor's feeling pretty good about life. Uh and then the next day their parents tell them that they're getting uh legally separated since there's no divorce in Ireland. And Brendan is furious and he just goes uh he just kind of flies off the handle and he tells Connor that the music thing is totally annoying now and he starts breaking all the records. And Connor says, what's wrong with you? And he says, I'm off drugs because I'm trying to get my life back. Uh, and I just kind of feel terrible. He, he tells Connor when, when he was young, he was, he was fit and he was smart and he got girls. And he could play and the guitar. He could play the guitar. And, and then as he got older and their family situation deteriorated, he just kind of like, dropped out of life and he's trying to he's trying to get things put I mean, back it's, it's a pretty amazing monologue in that scene it really is that he gives and I think he says like I macheted my way through the emotional issues of our family and you're just riding my jet stream behind me and I'm glad that you're okay but I'm not yeah. basically <laughs> so the band gets together to record the, the, the plan is to make a music video in the gym in the style of uh, like an American prom night or something uh, and they get together, and there's just a few students that are going to be their extras. They have no idea what they're doing. Uh, and Rafina doesn't show up. And um, they try to record without her, and they sort of get started. And then we get this sort of dream sequence where he, Connor imagines her, Rafina coming in, and the whole place is decorated like a, like American prom, like, um, like in like the he's 50s. Re- he's in referencing Back to the Future. Back to the Future. And his parents are there, and the... The headmaster is there dancing to the music, and Brendan comes in, and he's cool and happy. And Well, several times when they're like talking about the music videos, he's like, I've got it in my head. And so we're finally seeing what the music videos look like in his head, whereas before we've always seen like yes. the, the bunch of you know young kids dressed up in weird costumes. <laughs> and, then, and then sort of the dream ends as the song ends, and we're back in the gym, and he's alone, and Rafina is not there. And Connor goes to her house to try to find her. And they tell him that she's gone to London with her boyfriend, and Connor is heartbroken. He goes to the ocean, he sings a sad song, and when he goes back into town, he sees Rafina again, and she's totally changed. She um, She's dressing in very simple clothes, no makeup. Usually she had, like, the complete 80s, high hair, tons of facial makeup, yes. uh, bright colored clothes, and now her hair is braided tight against her, she's not wearing any makeup, she's and her clothes are very conservative. Drab sweater. Yeah. And he says, Rafina, Rafina. And she says, I'm not Rafina. I'm her sister. And he says, you're Rafina. I know who you are. Um, and they end up, they go for kind of to the, for a walk and they go to the park and they talk. And she tells him that she actually never went to London. Her boyfriend, um, it was just a he, ruse. He took her to him. a bed and breakfast saying they were on their way to London, but he never had any plans to go all the way there. It was just a ruse to sleep She's with got her. a big bruise on her cheek and... Um, she's just like get kind of given up and she wants, she's thinking about maybe working at McDonald's and, um, and then Connor just kind of tries to cheer her up 
and she says she's crazy like her mom and that she's just hanging out with a 15 year old she's 16 and he's 15 and she says, i'm just crazy because i'm hanging out with a 15 year old and connor just kind of gets up and leaves like that's all you think of me yeah so and then he goes back to Eamon's house and they write another song and he takes the tape to rafina and then he invites brendan to play at their gig and then they go then they go to barry's house uh barry the bully and they knock on his door and they say, hey, do you want to be our roadie? <laughs> every band needs a roadie. Everybody, every band needs a roadie. They need somebody who's strong that can fight. And we want you to be in our band. And you can hear Barry's dad yelling and his parents are yelling in the, in the back of the house. And Barry kind of looks back at him and then he says, okay. <laughs> and then he goes and now he's just part of the band. And he gets the hero shot of walking with uh, the yeah. manager of the band and uh, the lead singer of the band and him in the background. <laughs> it's very sweet, uh, the way that they bring Barry in. And so now it's time for the, the dance, the big gig. So they start singing, and the crowd is sort of split. There's people that really like them, and then there's all these hecklers in the back yelling at them. But they play a few songs, and things seem to be going well, and then Connor says we're going to play a slow song, and the band says, you sh- let's don't play a slow song, because things are going well playing fast songs. We've got good energy right now. We're not going to ruin it. Um, and Connor asks Eamon what he thinks they should do, and Eamon says, I think we should do it. It's risky, but I think we should do it. Like, let's go big or go home, It's basically. a bold move. Yeah. They s- slow it down. They play the slow song. The students start dancing. Um, and we see images of Rafina in the park. She has, like, a portable uh, tape player. Like an early Walkman, but it's, it's huge. It's huge, yeah. <laughs> and she's in the park listening to the song, and she's just weeping. And then the final song is a, is a fast song. And Connor tells the students it's about the headmaster. And the headmaster goes, uh, uh-oh. <laughs> and he tries to shut it down. He tries to shut it down. He, fl- he tries to turn the lights on. <laughs> and the students keep turning the lights off. And then one of the students just bashes in the, the light switch With so the, the lights will stay off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Someone jumps up on stage and the bully throws him off the stage. Yeah. Like has a hero moment raising his hands. <laughs> yes. Like, yes, Rody did his job. <laughs> and then uh, they go ahead and sing the song. And it's just this total song of rebellion against the school and the headmaster. Master, and um, and the headmaster kind of tells the band like this is probably our first and last gig. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and the headmaster leaves in kind of in a huff. And just as he's leaving, Rafina shows up, and she's all dressed up like she was before. She's got the the hair and the makeup and all the dangly bracelets and very eighties, um, uh, but cool eighties. Uh, and so after the concert ends, Connor and Rafina run away. And they go to Brendan, and they ask him for a lift uh, to the harbor so that they can sail to London. So they're going to get in the little in the little tiny boat, dinghy, <laughs> and they're going to sail across the channel uh, over to to London, which is crazy and really dangerous. And Brendan hears it and for a second. He goes, "Get the keys." He says, uh, "Do you have any money?" And they say, "No." And he says, "Do you have any friends?" And they say, "No." And he says, "Get the keys. Let's do this." So they get the keys. Uh, Connor tells Brendan, you know, she's got her photos. I've got my demo tapes. We're going to go and try to make our dreams come true because the life that we have here is pretty crummy, both of us. So they get to the harbor, and Brendan gives Connor some lyrics that he wrote, and then they all hug each other, and they get on the little boat. And as they um, as they sail away into the distance, Brendan does this awesome, like, cheer for his brother. He's just so happy for his brother that he's been able to do this. Um, he gets in the car and he just has this look of like satisfaction on his face yeah. that he was able to help his brother break o- break out of this thing. Um, and then we get uh, it's not quite over. Uh, we go back to the little boat and the sea is pretty 
it gets pretty violent and the, it starts raining really hard and there's these big waves and then they almost crash into a, a big ferry boat that's taking people across to England or to Wales and they just miss it and then they sort of get in the wake of that big boat and and this is like riding the jet stream right of the yeah. brother yeah they're gonna follow that and they're gonna follow that all the way out and then uh, roll credits and that's the end of the film yeah, we have talked about a lot of stories. This is our 134th episode, I think. And the finale of this was the most euphoric I can remember for anything that we've talked about in in the stories. Like that scene of the brother and his just, well, you said satisfaction, but it was just, to me, it was euphoric. The yeah. way he felt to see his brother go off. And it, it was an amazing bit of filmmaking. That to have this insane, dangerous thing that you want to be waving them off and you're almost waiting to see them turn back. But when you see the brother's happiness at his younger brother escaping the life um that that he feels trapped in like you're like they can't turn back yeah (laughs) they they can't and you talked about the you talked about like the really low lows in this film and i think that they had to show just how i mean when he walks in that school a kid throws a dead rat at him i mean it's just it feels kind of over the top but it has to to make that last scene work because if they're walking away from anything other than just a total disaster. Escape of a life. Yeah. <laughs> then you're like, don't do that. It's so dangerous. And, you know, but like, they really do feel totally trapped in this horrible life. And they are. And and you see the older brother and the way that his life is going. And, and that's where Connor's headed if he doesn't do something really drastic. And so it's I it's not like... I think sometimes it's easy to see a film like this and think it's encouraging rebellion or something. And it's about like horrible parents. And this is really about, for me, it's about recognizing when you're in a horrible situation and having the courage to say, I'm going to try something different. And I don't think it's really like about every 15 year old should run away from home. And there's still something fantastical about the way it ends too. That yes. It, like we said, a lot of it feels grounded. That ending feels m- like uh, hyper reality. Yes. And maybe, and, and and again, maybe like that's the counter to the to the school, especially the school. Like, yeah. It really is. It's kind of over the top. <laughs> yes. Uh, so the first possible discussion topic I had was the the swings in tone from ugly to charming, from hopeless to optimistic, and then I put it in there. Like they talk about happy and sad being the same. Yes. You know, like you need the same. Um, and then as I was looking up trivia, I came across this quote from Guy Lodge's review of the film in Variety and it said, the film is perched on a tricky precipice between chippy kitchen sink real, uh, realism and lush wish fulfillment fantasy. <laughs> and I think that's the perfect description of the two worlds this film explores simultaneously. Yeah. It's, uh, it really is, um, we've talked about before how, one of the one of the things that makes life worth living is a, an emotionally rich life and i think that um th- this film kind of taps into that with viewers in making it an emotionally rich experience like you have low lows and you have really high highs and it ends on a really high high um and was it steven spielberg was talking about another film by the same writer director uh and he said like watching that film gave me enough inspiration to just go through the rest of the year. Like I, w- I wouldn't have to read another story or watch another film. I would be inspired for the rest of the year by, by just seeing this. And this film ends on kind of that really high inspirational, like 
go out and get your dreams and don't let l- the crumminess of life, um, you know, get you down. Yeah. I keep a list of works that like inspire me to be more creative and mm-hmm. to be a better, like when I watch them, it makes me want to be a writer. Like it, it makes me want to create. Yeah. And this is going on that list Oh yeah, uh, of works that inspire me to be more, <laughs> more creative, to live life more fully. Uh, 100% Sing Street is the newest entry on that list. Yeah, like, um, the scenes where they're writing music. Oh, it, the montages. It, and the montages are beautiful. And the way that they, the way that they go uh, through really clever camera work from, uh, like, you know, we're picking out a tune here and the camera will kind of pan around the room, and when it comes back to them, now they're with their band and they're playing the song, and it's just done really, really, really well. And the songs are very catchy. Yes, they yeah. are. Uh-huh. Yeah. And the the lead actor has a good voice for singing mm-hmm. them. Yep. Did you see the film's dedication? I did, end? yes. So, and it kind of surprised me, I thought about it, I'm like, well, that is the relationship that really resonated the most. The dedication of the film, right when the brother has sailed off into the ocean and they're now in the wake of that large boat... Uh, it cuts to black, and it says, Four Brothers Everywhere. And then it starts the credits. Four Brothers Everywhere. Yeah. So what? Do you, why is this <laughs> the film dedicated to brothers? It's, um... I mean, like you said, the the key relationship in this story is the relationship with the brother. And it's a sweet relationship. And I think um, big brothers kind of get a bad rap sometimes in storytelling. <laughs> Yeah, when your protagonist is the younger brother, the big brother's often a bully or too distant, right? right? And this brother is it could easily go in that direction uh, because his life has been so hard, and he has every reason to not like his little brother because of lost opportunities, and and yet he he's doing his best to be a good big brother, and and for him the best he can do is um, teach him about music. And and really be a voice of encouragement for the for the band, and when they come up with that the Rio cover, and his brother says it's terrible, but not because you guys are bad, but you need more of this, right? Like you need to take this further. You can't be imitating. Yeah. You got to be creating. And it, it's very like it's encouraging and ex- and inspiring for Connor when. Uh, he could have just said, you know, it's terrible, you guys are hacks, and you'll never be as good as Duran Duran. But he, his voice of inspiration and also of expertise uh, really pushes them forward and allows them to reach, you know, creative heights that they wouldn't otherwise. And his monologue when he's talking and, like, explaining to Connor why he's taking their family breaking apart so hard, you know, even harder than Connor, he's kind of like, you're, you're not taking it as hard as me because I've been protecting you your entire life. Yeah. Um, it is one of the best monologues I've seen in years in film. <laughs> and the, what a beautiful way to close the film. It feels like it, it, like it's going to end like The Breakfast Club with like the fist pump in the air and then be over. And, um, and then you get this final thing where they're in the water and it's getting very dangerous. And, the, and I, I thought, oh my gosh, they're going to die. <laughs> or they're going to turn back. They're going to capsize. I thought they were dead. I thought they were going to turn back. And I'm like, that'd be so unsatisfying if they turned back. Or if they died. Your version also unsatisfying. (laughs) I thought they were dead for sure. And and then there's this big boat coming. And I'm like, what in the world is going to happen here? And the big boat kind of pulls in front of them. And they pull right in its wake. And it's this total metaphor for the big brother 
uh, you know, cutting his way th- with a machete through re- life, and Connor benefiting from that. Right. And and I also love the message that um, for Brendan, like Connor, he sees Connor's going to have more success than he's had in his life, but that is going to be like he's going to joy in that. Yeah. He's not going to be bitter and jealous because he knows he had a hand in it. So where do you think Brendan goes after this? Like, what is Sing Street 2, what's Brendan doing in Sing Street 2? I think he's co-writing songs with Connor. You think? <laughs> I mean, that's the, the last note we have for him as an act other than driving Connor there. And, you know, setting Connor on the path to finding success is him handing lyrics and say, hey, I'm trying. Like, I'm trying to. I'm trying to be creative again. Yeah. I once was. I got lost in drugs and the hate-filled life of our parents. But I'm going to try and create again. Yeah. And I think there's a lot... In this film, about creating versus stopping. <laughs> you know, like there's one quote where, uh, there's a couple quotes uh, where Connor talks to Barry, where Barry's been making fun of him, and he says, Maybe you're just living in my world, and I'm not living it. Like when you were bullying me and I gave up, I was living in your world, but maybe I'm not doing that anymore. You're living in my world, and you, he says, You're just material for my songs. Yes. <laughs> And there's another one where he said, he tell, this is before they become friends, but he tells Barry, you only have the power to stop things, but not to create. And I, and I think the brother has been allowing Connor to create, but is going to be moving towards creating himself. Yeah, it's almost, um, I mean, it's sad. It's tragic. But the, like the, the breakup of the family gives both of them kind of a sense of freedom because, I mean, family's great. But when family goes bad, it's going to be, like, pretty miserable. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's the so- source of the greatest joy and the greatest misery. And I mean, it's, it's getting back to the strong emotional extremes that, yeah. we, that we've talked about. If you're going to have the highs, you have to experience the lows. If you're just at a mundane level in the middle where you don't get too happy and you don't get too sad and you're just droning along, um, I mean, you're going to be missing out on the extreme highs, but... In order to get those extreme highs, you got to have some rough spots, and this film shows us both those. Yeah, yeah. So um, I I agree with you. I think uh, I think not only does Connor is Connor sort of set free and off on this adventure, but the sense that I get from Brendan in that car, that moment of euphoria for him, is that he's gonna go and and try to make something of his life, and he seems capable. Like he's smart, he's good looking. Um, and you get the sense that if he can just kind of get his head on straight and get out of drugs, that... And also get out of the shadow of his parents' get, ugly divorce. Yeah, just... Or not divorce, but ugly relationship. Yeah, that, that there's, you know, like, there's good things for him. Like, the future the future for Brennan is going to be bright. And um, and part of it, part of it is the freedom of letting... Uh, not being under the shadow of his parents, but also the freedom of not having to be the big brother anymore. So yep. letting letting Connor go. One subtle moment, I think that was a nod to that, and it worked so well for me, was when Connor went to Brendan and said, we've got a gig, you should come play a solo. And then Brendan says, okay, that sounds fun, I'll do it. And he doesn't, he but doesn't. they don't make a big deal about it. Connor never mentions, or, uh, yeah, he never says, where were you? But in some ways, that's a moment of role reversal where Connor's trying to like help his brother along mm-hmm. a bit, um, and but he's not being patronizing or uh, you know superior yeah. as he does it. If if he'd come back and shoot him out and said you know this was your chance, then it would have been too much of a role reversal. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just a nod to the loving relationship when you have a good relationship with brothers. 
you can have those moments where like I'm gonna help you out, but I'm not gonna be a big deal about it. Yeah. <laughs> and and if you don't follow through, I'm not gonna be disappointed in you. Nothing's gonna change in our relationship. Thinking about brothers, also, um, this kind of band of brothers that they that they form the the band of uh, brothers. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> Just the relationship between all of them is so sweet, and uh, Darren, the manager, he's such, such a fascinating. Like I love seeing him on screen. I do too. <laughs> and and then uh, and Amos, the guy, or what's his Eamon? name? Amon. Amon. Uh, uh, okay, the guy I want to talk specifically about Amon. Write the songs. He's just so great. Yes, and he's a fully formed character, even though he doesn't have the most amount of screen time. And the relationship feels so wonderful, even though we don't see all of it. The yes. moments we see say, "There's more here." Yeah. Like, my, one of my very favorite moments of the film was Connor goes and knocks on the door. Eamon opens the door. And he says, will you help me a song? And Eamon just says, always. And always. opens and steps back to let Connor walk in. And you need a friend who is your always friend. Like, whatever you say, you know, will you help me write a song? I've got a body to get rid of. Yes. <laughs> will, you, will you help me out? <laughs> you need always. that friend who will just, no matter what it is, is going to say, always. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's great. And um, the way that they work together... Um, I mean, it's the music is such a metaphor for like their relationship and the writing songs and just kind of being. When, it, when he plays the slow song at the band, it's only Eamon playing piano. Like the, the rest of the band doesn't yeah. participate in that one. Um, they're definitely the, like of the band. That's the strongest relationship within there. Um, but again, just listeners. And find, you would think that it would be Darren. Think, think who of who is your always friend? <laughs> who is the friend that you can go to? And maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it is a brother, <laughs> you yeah. know, or, or a sister. But who's the one that you can go to and say, I've got this need. Can you help me out? Always. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I really like that. And I like his glasses. <laughs> and he has rabbits. <laughs> and he has rabbits everywhere in his house. He has pet rabbits. And they're, they're on his bed. And they're pooping on his bed. And he's complaining about it. And Connor's just like, if you have rabbits on your bed, they're going to poop. They're going to poop on your bed. <laughs> I like um, Eamon's mom. Yeah. And she's like, you're, you're not going to be in a band. You're not, cause, cause the dad's in a band and the dad's never there. We never see the dad. Cause he's always playing a cover band somewhere. Right. Probably a wedding. <laughs> he's a cover band at a wedding. And she's like, they're sitting around the table negotiating at the very beginning. And so, you know, when can we practice? And she's like, not Saturdays. And Eamon's like, okay, not Saturdays. And then, Monday's Wednesday. Okay, Monday's Wednesdays. Like the mom is really yeah. kind of pushing this and, She's she's not telling them, like, you can't do it, but she's also sort of kind of trying to guide them in a, in a way that's going to be helpful for them. And then when they're practicing, she's there and she's, like, dancing to the music and bringing them cups of tea and stuff. And, and she's there at their performance. Yeah, she's very supportive of them. And it's nice to see, like, even, I mean, every family in this is so broken. Everybody's family is broken. But to see, like, that loving, supportive mother is nice. Yeah. It's like a little ray of sunshine <laughs> in the otherwise bleak family lives of all of these people. All right. So I wanted to go find that quote of, uh, to make sure I got it exactly right, where he said, will you help me write a song? Always. Mm -hmm. And when I did that, I came across like the IMDb list of quotes. And there's a lot of really good quotes in this are. that are pretty insightful <laughs> and mm -hmm. deep at times. And you can get away with it because they're, they're writing angsty 1980s pop songs. So they're allowed to be more introspective than you'd expect the average 15 year old to be. Right. But I, um, some of these lines I think are worth discussing. Connor is talking with Eamon about uh, Rafina, I think it is. And he says, it's like when you don't know someone, they're more interesting. They can be anything you want them to be. Eamon just says, yeah. And Connor says, but when you know them, there's limits to them. 
because they're only what they are. Right. Right. And I love that idea, especially for like young love, this idea of like the crush, the person can be like, when you, when you don't know them yet, they, you're in love with the idea of them. Right. Uh, you're in love with the idea of being in a relationship with someone who's going to be perfect because it's only you're inventing the idea of what, what they're going to be like. But once you actually get to know them, they are that thing. <laughs> and so if you're, if you're choosing love, you better find the person who is, you know, you're in love with who they are and not the idea of who they are. It's really interesting to contrast that with like um, Levinas, who says we never really get to know anybody. And that one of the most dangerous things that you can do in a relationship is feel like you totally know somebody. And it's like one is, I mean, I think they're worth we, talking we can about. We both of those ideas. Yes, yeah. you can, like like the name of the wind, right? Like yeah. you can name both, you can hold both of those ideas in your head at the same time. Uh, but it's it's interesting. Um, there's kind of this fascination with the completely unknown, which can turn into di- disappointment, right? When you get to know somebody and then you feel so limited. Uh, but which also, if done right, I mean, you... Levinas would say you should recognize that you never really get to know mm-hmm. somebody and that there's there should always be that sense of wonder. Yeah. Um and you know, don't let it go. So if I if Connor was here, I would say, Man, don't let the mystery go. <laughs> <laughs> um it also reminds me of another character we talked about a couple of years ago at this point, I think, uh, Niles Crane from Frasier. Uh-huh. Because uh, in Frasier, he's in love with Daphne for seven years, uh, you know, before they actually begin a real relationship. She's oblivious to the fact that he's in love with her. He, she thinks it's just a platonic friendship. And he's madly in love with her. And then they actually enter the relationship, and they deal with, in the show, this imbalance of where they're at. Right. And Frasier says to Niles, you're not, you've been in love at her <laughs> for seven years, <laughs> and now you need to find out what it's like to be in love with, with her, her. Yeah. together. Uh, and she's struggling because this is new to her, and for you, you've built up this idea of her for, you know, of what it will be like when you're finally allowed to be in a relationship with her, when you get out of the horrible marriage that you've been, when you get the divorce, and you finally can allow yourself to enter this new relationship. You've been building that up for seven years, and for her, this is brand new, and you're not on equal footing. Right. And I think... Again, like for a fifteen-year-old, that's kind of an insightful comment. <laughs> it's totally, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that that you know, we can be in love with someone before we know them, but are we really in love with them or with the idea of being yeah. in a relationship with them? Yeah, I like that. All right, and one that you mentioned uh, when Rafina um, jumps into the river during the filming of the music video, and <laughs> and she uh, like she she bobs her head up and yells, "Keep filming! I can't swim." <laughs> <laughs> And so Connor has to jump in and rescue her. And he says, why in the world did you do that? And she says, um, you can never do anything by half. Do you understand that? I think she's talking about, like, for your creativity, you can't just say, maybe I'm going to be an artist. <laughs> You've got to say, I am an artist. Right. And embrace everything that comes with that. Which is which is a nice sentiment. But. But. <laughs> but. I think it does come with a but. It does end up with her at the bed and breakfast with this creepy guy. Mm-hmm. Because she's trying to follow, taking advantage, going, going full on and being a model. Yeah. Yeah. And she did it in an immature and unlearned way and ended up in a really bad situation. And it almost, I mean, it did break her, right? Like she comes back and she's not the Rafina that we knew. Right. And Connor has to like kind of reignite, uh, you know, the, the Rafina that's wants to be a model that is going to be bold. Um, that doesn't just want to go work at McDonald's for the rest of her life. And then you think about the final scene. And you wonder, did she really learn her lesson, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's what we talked about when we talked about Rudy. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's uh, it's like the beginning of Zootopia when Judy Hopps is talking to her mom and dad and they say, you just need to settle, like, you know, you have a happy life if you, if you just learn where your limits are and then you settle for what's possible. And, um, I mean, we assume in this film that they don't die and that they actually make it to the other side and the music's good enough and you think, you know, maybe maybe this actually works out. It's ending on an optimistic note. Right. But, um... But with this film, it could swing real quickly. I know, negative. you and I both, at the end of this film, are like, what is really going to happen here? Um, I, I just, uh, I think this idea of dreams and, like, going after your dreams and being, uh, you know, persistent, come hell or high water, I'm going to do this thing... Uh, can turn out really disastrously in uh, lots of cases, and it's not always clear to me what the magic thing is that differentiates a successful person from an unsuccessful person. Yeah, I think this is a really fascinating part of like all the inspirational stories that w- that we get. Well, we're given the success stories right. <laughs> as the inspirational stories. Uh, most people don't end up world famous for their art, <laughs> you do know, you for the this, what they create. Do you remember this film, um, That Thing You Do? Yeah. Uh, the Tom Hanks directed it. The yeah, wonder, it's the kind wonders. Of similar. The, the Oneaters. The Wonders. Yes, the Oneaters. Yeah, it's kind of similar. It kind of has a similar feel to this in some ways. They form the band. Um, in that one, they become wildly successful, and that that one ends on really a somber note. It crashes and burns. Yeah. And this one, um, you don't see like the huge success, and yet somehow it feels more hopeful. Um, well, and the thing is. I think for this film and the stakes that they've made, the huge success is not becoming a world, a world famous model or becoming a world famous band. It's getting out of this horrible school and the horrible life that they're leading, the emotionally abusive, at times physically abusive right. world that they're in, and they're escaping that, and that is a victory, even if they don't become world. It's famous. having a positive relationship and feel like your life is moving anywhere in a positive direction, and so yeah, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, that those would be it would be interesting to like view these two films in in, in contrast juxtaposed and I, again it's it's just something you always have to grapple with when we're talking about these inspirational stories like we want to be inspired but it always i mean you do want it to kind of be tempered with the the Rudy's dad speech which is like a villainous speech in that film right. like like settle for happiness if all you want is <laughs> is the stars then you're you're never going to be happy but i think there's some wisdom in this idea of finding happiness in the life that you are leading even as you maybe aspire to something greater. Yeah. I mean, it's in the context of the film, the final scene is totally euphoric, but like in any other context, it would be horrifying, right? (laughs) Like this is going to end up as the tragic headline of two dead teenagers who were trying to run away from two dead runaway teenagers who who drowned while trying to leave their country. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a tribute to the filmmakers that they were able to balance everything and and reach down into those deep lows to make us realize just how trapped these kids are and how important it is for them to do whatever it is that they're doing mm-hmm. uh, and feel like there's any hope for the future uh, so that we can feel that euphoria for them uh, at the end because otherwise you would just be horrified. Like, <laughs> what in the world are you doing? You have no money. You have no friends. You're getting on this tiny boat and riding off into a storm. You didn't take any food or water with you. No, no nothing. <laughs> and you can see the other side. I mean, he says on a clear day, you can see, yeah. you can see whales from where they are. So it's not like it's a days long journey, 
But it's still really dangerous. It's a really well, choppy sea. And it's still where you're going to get food and water once you land there. <laughs> right. It reminds me of um, of uh, the Truman Show at the yeah. end when he's riding in the boat. And he becomes more and more. I was like, oh my gosh, it's the Truman Show. They're going to... I don't know what's going to happen. But uh, I'm glad that they didn't die. And I think... I mean, in some ways this film, I think it can serve as some of that balance. Like I said, I keep a list of films... And stories, you know, books, music, films that inspire me to want to be more creative. Like, I have never published fiction. I've published nonfiction. I've published analysis of pop culture. I do this weekly podcast. But I would like an outlet for some creative writing. I have not achieved that yet. And this film inspires me to want to achieve that. But I'm still happy <laughs> as a college professor who does these other things. If the only thing that would allow me to be happy, which sometimes these films say, would be like that creative outlet, that creative art, and having success and fame from my creativity... I might be leading a pretty miserable life right now. Right. Um, but at the same time, I can I can be happy where I'm at and still be aspiring to produce, you know, creative works that other, you know, create characters that people love and that all, the, all those other things. And this film makes me want to do that more. So do you think, do you think that just like life in general is sobering enough <laughs> that we don't need lots of stories about... Tempering our expectations. Yeah. <laughs> Like, we need lots of stories to tell us, like, you know, to get excited and to be inspired and to go follow our dreams. So, like, if, I, I don't know, if you were to do a statistical analysis of stories and say, which ones tell you to follow your dreams and which ones tell you to stay home and just be happy with what you have? Yeah. I think, I suspect that most, we would find it leaning towards uh, more stories telling you, go out and follow your dreams. I mean, there's the the pendulum of the movements of literature, say, sometimes it might be a little more warning. Like, naturalists, not big on going out and exploring sure. the world. <laughs> yeah. So that's a lot of warning about, you're an ant. But, <laughs> but do you... Your, your insignificance needs to be front and center in your mind at all times. <laughs> do you feel the need, though, to make a, to make a list of, going, of movies right? that say... Tone it down. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm going to pick up some Thomas Hardy for inspiration tonight. <laughs> I'm thinking like, um, like It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. That says, you know what? Things are pretty good. It's like, like, you know, you got people that you love close to you. You don't need to make a million dollars or be super famous. Just, mm -hmm. you know, just do your thing and everything's okay. So, I don't, I don't feel like, we, you know, there's not a list of like AFI's list of most uh, grounding films, you know, <laughs> instead of most inspiring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm sort of joking, but um, but life. I mean, it seems like life sort of tends to tell <laughs> yes. us. You know, we don't need stories to cut the knees right out from you. <laughs> <laughs> Life's good enough at that one. Yes, yeah. stories to take you down a peg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I don't need that. I've got. I've got plenty of things that take me down a peg. <laughs> Uh, do you, any final thoughts on this? This film, again, I'm going to say it's charming. And then you're going to turn it on. You're going to say, what was he talking about? Just push <laughs> through the opening of this film and enjoy the ride. And embrace the crazy swings of the pendulum that the, this film gives us. Because it will feel earned at the end. And the ending is going to work because we've had everything negative about his home life and at the school. It has a 96% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which means a lot of people really, really like this film. I can't say, personally, I, I can't say that this is, like, the best, my most favorite film that I've seen recently, um, or one that I'm, like, dying to turn on and watch again. Um, I think some of the hard, like, the, the really gritty stuff in it is is kind of 
It's so much of a turnoff. It's hard to go want to go it's in there again. It's hard to want to go back into that world again. Um, and I can see, I, I I can see some people watching this film and that being just too much. If uh, if that because of for whatever reason that becomes the focal the focal point of the film, like all you think about is the dead rats, the puddles, the abusive headmaster, the abusive parents, the abusive sibling. I mean, it's like it, the abusive bully. Yeah, yeah. It it can become really. Um, I mean, I can imagine people watching this and just saying it's just too much. Like, the music's nice, and the story of a 15-year-old boy and a 16-year-old girl running away together. Well, is forming a band to impress a girl. <laughs> forming a band and, you know, running off to be a band and a, you know, a, a musician and a, and a model just doesn't really do it for me. So I, I, I can't say, like, I think this is a film for everybody, but a 96% rating on Rotten Tomatoes says the chances are if you watch this film, there will be something in it that will make you go, yeah, that, I like that film. <laughs> Even though, you know, there may be parts of it that are hard for me to, to watch. Overall, you leave this uh, feeling hopeful for the future, and that's nice. Yeah, I, I liked it. It's um, a wonderful marriage of... Writing and acting from young actors, which oh, yeah. can be very tricky, and also the music, which can be tricky in film. Sometimes the music can be a turnoff if it's you know hitting the wrong chord or the actor you know the voice isn't right. It's perfect. Yeah, the original like the original stuff to the film when and they bring the, in the Duran Duran and <laughs> it's all really really good. And uh, like I said, like the aesthetic is good, the acting is good, the editing is good. Like uh, it's a solid solid film all the way around. And I don't have really. Any nits to pick with this yeah. film. I can't think of a single thing where I think, oh, this is kind of ridiculous, or this doesn't make any sense, or this character doesn't feel authentic, or... I will say the one moment where I wish something had been handled differently, and it surprised me that this was in a 2016 film, and maybe it's because it's set in the 80s, but when she she had the bruise on her cheek, and he says, did he hit you? And she says, yeah, but I deserved it. And, like, maybe they're trying to say, like, she did something assertive and aggressive, and so he hit her back because of that, but... No. With abuse, you should never say, I deserved it. No, it's totally her low point, though. Yeah. And so I don't... And and Connor does not address it at all. Like, they just move on in the conversation from her saying that. That's the only thing yeah, that bothered I, me. But but I think you're seeing it from a from your own viewpoint. Yeah. But uh-huh. in, in the context of the film, that conversation makes total sense. Yes. And a 15-year-old not knowing how to process that would make perfect Absolutely. sense. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And uh, for her to feel like she deserved it, yes. also... Yeah, I just wish there had been something in the film to say, no, <laughs> you didn't. And, you know... Well, that you have the whole ending of the film, mm-hmm. and her... I mean, that in, at that moment, she's at her very lowest, mm-hmm. and her reasserting herself and taking agency and going off with him is is that thing that the you're recovery, looking for. It's, yeah. not, it's not said so explicitly, like... You know, no woman ever deserves this, yeah. or nobody ever deserves. But this just to have it had been said so explicitly that I deserved it, it's it's like a slap in the face yeah. when she says it. It's shocking mm-hmm. to you, but I don't think it's out of place in the film. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. That's the only thing that like still kind of sticks for me, though. See, I I view that as the, the same as all the other horrible stuff in the film, right? Yeah. Like, oh yeah, there's I, there's so much horrible stuff. It's I, true. The, it's hard for me to say, you know, that one thing mm-hmm. when there's so many other just awful yeah things in the film, um, and the you know, it's uh, hard. I, I think I'll just go back to the Guy Lodge quote from his. A review where it says it's perched on a tricky precipice between chippy kitchen sink realism and lush wish fulfillment fantasy. 
if if you end up focusing on that really harsh realism or the wish fulfillment fantasy, I think that's going to be what your opinion of the film is. Yeah. Which do you feel more? And because the ending is this lush, exaggerated wish fulfillment, you leave with the happiness. Um, but if you look back on it and you get focused on all the negativity, you might not have as have as high opinion as the 96 percentile on Rotten Tomatoes. Well, and you have to remember that a Rotten Tomatoes score is the way that I understand a Rotten Tomato score is you just get a thumbs up or a thumbs down, right? You no, either say this is this film is good or it's bad, and that a 96% rating says 96% of people say this is a good film. I think it, it does take in more to that because it, it uses the rating systems that they're using, so if they're using a five-star system like and things, it takes all that into account, like what the the ratings are, I'm pretty sure. Because even then, if you say, like, if you go in and look at it, it says 96%, it'll still say, on a scale out of 10, this is where the average of that 96% positive is. Is it a 7 out of 10 or a 9 out of 10? That sort of thing. Really? Yeah, you can go in and get a few more details if you click huh. through. Because I understand that, like, the difference between Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes is that Rotten Tomatoes is basically a thumb up, thumb down. And Metacritic is a more, like, nuanced, they're rating it on a scale, and so... I think this is insignificant to our discussion of Sing Street. <laughs> uh, only in the fact that I think you can watch a film and say, like, I would give this film a thumbs up and say, yeah, it's a good film. Um, and I think many people would watch this film and say, yes, I give it a thumbs up. It's a great, it's, it's a great film without saying, like, I'm totally in love with this. Or it really, it probably depends on the day, you know, yeah. like you can watch this film one day and go man, life is really crummy and there are a lot of horrible people out there and you can watch it on a different day and say, but, you know, there's like, there's there's hope out there. Um, for me, just to think about it as a piece of like film work, it's, it's amazing. I mean, there's so much to love about all of that that, um, I mean, that's what, that's what to me makes me say, yeah, this is a great film. Not yeah. like I love every moment of me watching this film. There's so many mistakes that could have been made that would have ruined this film. Absolutely. In the swings of these tones and to have this in a shared universe. You know, like this is one story. It could have felt so disjointed and so unearned, that finale. But it feels earned in this yeah, film. Totally. Yeah. All right. Well, listeners and Daniel, thank you again for suggesting this. But we <laughs> recommend this film. Uh, but again, maybe on the day. <laughs> Choose the day wisely when you're watching, I guess. <laughs> Uh, I think that's going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. Please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in Apple Podcasts, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. If you are a new listener, just note about our back catalog. We switched up our format a bit at episode 13, so our first dozen episodes are a bit meandering in terms of discussion and length. If you enjoyed this episode, you may want to check out episode number 112 when we talked about Pitch Perfect, another musical about figuring out your identity, or number 94. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't believe... I can't think of, like, two more different films. <laughs> Or number 94, when we talked about Stranger Things, another coming-of-age story set in the 1980s. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, okay. Uh, links to things we talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss, or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss, or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod, at Todd K. Mack, at Jay Dorowski, and our producer Andrew is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. We have really 
really good conversations there uh, with our listeners, and we would love for you to stop by and say hello and give us any feedback on the episodes. If you would like to support the show financially, you could buy a topic for us to discuss by going to patreon.com slash protagonist. Any patron at $5 or more gets to select a topic like Patron Daniel today. And all supporters on Patreon at any level get access to our quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. So long. I just realized I didn't put any synopsis in the, in the more info. I put more info up there, but not a synopsis. Oh. Sorry.